Hello, and welcome to the Future Christian Podcast, your source for insights and ideas into what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in the 21st century. At the Future Christian Podcast, we talk to pastors, authors, and other faith leaders for helpful advice and practical wisdom to help you and your community of faith walk boldly into the future. Here's your host, Lauren Richmond Jr. Welcome to the Future Christian Podcast. My name is Lauren Richmond Jr. Today I'm pleased to be joined by Robert Douglas. Rob is a church starter in the suburban Los Angeles town of Thousand Oaks, California at Lightshine Church. Rob holds an MA in theology from Fuller Theological Seminary and serves as a church planning coach for Cyclical LA, Cyclical Inc., and 1001 New Worshiping Communities of the Presbyterian Church USA. Rob also works as a developer for Cyclical Inc., serving Spokane, Washington. Let's welcome Rob to the show. Hey, how's it going? Hey, great. Great to have you today. Um, what else would you like our listeners to know about you? Yeah, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for having me on. And um, I am uh, a suburban church planter here in near Los Angeles. I'm uh, married in 26 years, have two, uh, two girls, twin girls. And uh, I guess they're out living fairly close to you, which we just learned a few minutes ago, which is pretty cool. I'm just starting to get to know Colorado a little bit with them there and really enjoyed the couple times uh, that my wife and I have been out there hanging out. You are in beautiful, a beautiful part of the country. Um, my story, uh, you know, I was born in the Pacific Northwest as a kid, kind of traveled around a lot. Um, our family moved around with my dad's jobs and... Uh, Going into middle school, landed here in kind of the similar community that I'm in right now, just like 10 minutes down the road. And uh, when we moved here, my dad said, um, that's it. We're not moving anymore. And uh, if I have to switch jobs to not get moved around, uh, we're staying. And, you know, a long, long time, many decades later, I'm still around here in this same community. Um I grew up in a Christian household, um, kind of passed down, you know, the faith generationally on my mom, my mom's side of the family. Um, her side of the family was like, I found out when I was older is kind of filled with these, um, you know, Pentecostal assemblies of God pastors and, and I'm a Presbyterian, so go figure. (laughs) And that, you know, that might add something to do with when we moved to California, my mom was, uh, it was really cool. I remember her saying, um, you and your brother can, you know, help me pick a church. And so we went to all these churches in the area and, um, we went to the one that we landed on and I went to their middle school youth group and, you know, crammed all these kids on a carpet and we all sang, you know, whatever we sang and had a great time. And I'm like, mom, this is the church Mm -hmm. I want to go to. And she was smart enough, I think, to say like, you know, if my kids are actually excited and want to go to church, um, then this is the church that I'll go to. And it's weird. That's how I think I became a Presbyterian. (laughs) You know, it's funny, like, uh, I'm kind of in the process of looking for a church to attend. And my kids are like, want to go to a church just because they serve donuts afterwards. It's like, yeah, and I'm trying exactly. to fight them on. Mm, this is a good church, but donuts doesn't need to be the only reason we attend. <laughs> yeah, there are a few other, a uh, few other things to look for for sure. 
Yeah, and uh, you know, I was one of those people who, um, like, I had no plans whatsoever of um, of being in ministry. This wasn't really my idea. Um, I wanted to get a PhD in history and teach, so I was a history major. Yeah, um, love history, still read it, and um, you know, when I graduated from from college. I had already been accepted to a uh, to graduate program and I kind of walked on campus and I had this strange experience that uh, that that wasn't the right thing for me. And it was kind of the first time I'd ever experienced something like that before and hmm. called home and said, hey, you guys are going to think I'm crazy. I'm not sure exactly what I should be doing, but what I'm pretty certain of is that it's not supposed to be this. Hmm. <laughs> and then a month later, I was enrolled in Fuller Seminary. Um and started working as a youth pastor, which I did for 20 some years. I actually thought I would be one of those rare people that, um, that kind of, yeah, does runs an entire, yeah, like does a, is a lifer in youth ministry. And I, I've made a pretty good run at it. Um, I think 22, 23 years is like 22 years longer than the average, <laughs> <laughs> the average person makes it. So absolutely. Um, yeah, and then kind of what something that I learned was that some of the things that um, I had been doing for years in youth ministry translated pretty well into the church planning world and uh, met Nick Warnis, whom I believe you might have had on your show recently, the executive director at Cyclical yeah, yeah. Incorporated. He should, he uh, was, his episode should air before yours, hopefully. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, he kind of said, oh, you've got some entrepreneurial gifts and skills that would translate well into the church planning world. Have you ever thought about it? And I was like, yeah, like a lot of people for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I kind of went into what I do now, kind of kicking and screaming, which is typical of me. That's the way I got into ministry in the first place, thinking, yeah, I don't have what it takes. Not good enough. Whatever the reasons that, you know, you tell yourself and then. You know, after a bit of a discernment process, um, the doors were open to uh, to start something new. So we started a church together here in this area about eight um, years ago, which is you know unique in our in our community. So I get to work with great people and uh, and now do stuff like this with you. So yeah, it's it's definitely exciting. I I guess that's the the basics. In my free time, I like uh, I'm outdoors a lot. Uh, surf and hike and mountain bike and kayak and backpack. Anything I can do outside when I get the chance is uh, is stuff I like to do on my free time. Awesome. Well, if you're ever back in this part of the part of the world, like uh, you'll have to see rent a mountain bike and maybe we'll see if we can get out. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know how adventurous you are. Uh, I've determined I'm a lot tamer than I used to be because falling just hurts too bad. <laughs> right right yeah i'm the like i'm the fairly cautious mountain biker i'm the guy who does not want to fall (laughs) i'll try some fairly adventurous stuff but it's just like you know at some point it's just like that's just what's the gain if i land that you know versus if i don't (laughs) yeah exactly a couple of weeks in the hospital and many, many months not on a bike. Yeah. That, that's what that means. It's yeah. just not worth it. Well, yeah. what have been some spiritual practices that has been meaningful to you or you might recommend to others? Yeah, um, spiritual practices for me. Um, you know, I'm, a, um, I'm an introvert 
in a job where I have to um, be around a lot of people. Um, yeah. So I've kind of had to learn how to do that. And actually, I really like people um, and I like being around people. But what I find is that it does wear me down. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, these were things I wished I'd, you know, practiced more when I was younger. Now things, you know, solitude and silence, um, meditation, uh, those things are the things right now, I think, that are kind of the most sustaining for me and life-giving. They keep me, kind of keep me in the game uh, when I get worn down. And those regular practices are really helpful to kind of get me kind of charged back up and uh, be ready to, to be around lots of people. So I think those are some interesting ones. One, fascinatingly, that I was actually reading about last night, which I'd never heard, which is one that interests me, is I hear there's a Celtic spiritual practice of like, what would you call it? I think they call it, it's wandering. Hmm. And uh, it's wandering for the love of God. Hmm. And it's this practice where I was just reading about this and really fascinated by it as someone who loves the adventuring and the outdoor stuff is I hear that they, you know, some of these monks would just kind of walk outside, get in a boat without a rudder or an oar (laughs) or a sail and where the spirit took them, they would plant themselves and land and live and minister and eventually die and be buried that that is a pretty interesting spiritual practice. I had never heard of that before, mm-hmm. but that's actually one that it, it's pretty intriguing, uh, and I want to learn more about it. So that was just reading about that last night. So thought I'd throw that one out there since you asked. <laughs> yeah, that sounds like a, a introvert thing too. Just a modern <laughs> totally <laughs> get in a boat and go. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting that I think the. From an outsider perspective, most people think that all pastors are extroverts, yet I imagine you've probably heard this. There's a huge percentage of introverts as pastors. I don't really know, you know, someone else could explain what that's about, Um, but it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. And when I was younger and first getting into ministry, I, like you, I had the same thought. I thought that everyone was an extrovert and all these, you know, super gregarious, kind of loud and people that love attention. And, you know, and what I found out was that that's not that's not the case. But that was like a learning over time, you know, so it's it was good to know when I found other people that uh, were also introverted. I'm like, all right, maybe I can Maybe I can do this. There's others out there that are doing it too. You know, it, it also makes me think about, I don't know if you're listening to that Mars Hill podcast that's out right now, kind of as we're recording this. Oh. Uh, yeah, you. It, it's, I mean, it's fascinating. Talks about the kind of the, the rise and fall of Mars Hill and Mark Driscoll. And it's, it's almost like a little snapshot of like American evangelicalism for that 20, 30, 40 year period surrounding oh. that. Um, but it, it really makes me think about just like, and I know other people have talked about this, just how like maybe it's not a good thing if maybe that's why introverts make good pastors, because like if you're in it for the attention, like that can get sideways really quick. Right. Right. Yeah, that's that's a good point. Um, definitely not in it for the attention, I can assure you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you have to check that out. I mean, it's it's a bit. It's a heavy listen, depending on your experience in church. Um, 
But it's right. also fascinating. Well, uh, right. let's talk about your book. Uh, so Rob recently came out with the book, The Missional Disciple Making Handbook, Growing as Disciples and Innovating Together. And uh, I guess first kind of just talk about like, you know, why we do we, why did you want to write like a discipleship book? Uh, talk more about how the book came to be. Yeah. Um, well, the truth is I didn't set out to, uh, to write the book at all. Um, it started out as um, kind of a local project with our, so I'm a Presbyterian USA mm-hmm. pastor and our local middle judicatory had gone through, you know, it's gone through some rougher times and declining numbers and a lot of stuff that yeah. probably your listeners would all be able to understand and relate to. And they kind of hired a, um, you know, a consultant, which is pretty typical to kind of come in and say, hey, you know, here's some things you all need to focus on. Mm-hmm. And one of those things that the consultant Bob Logan said was, you guys have to start focusing on like disciple making, disciples making disciples. If you don't, you may not be here in another, you know, 50 years or, or whatever. And so for some unknown reason, he thought that I was a person that could help our local presbytery with that. I think he had, you know, a couple other things, but this one, for some reason, you know, he was praying about it and had me in mind that might be able to be helpful. So they kind of reached out and said, would you be interested in, you know, coming up with something that maybe we could go through and different churches could access and start having some conversation um, around this issue? Um, And I, you know, typical me, I was kind of like, huh? really? You want me to do this? You think I'm the right person? Um, and they were pretty insistent. So I said, all right, I'll give it a, I'll give it a go. And so I kind of just started immersing myself in the world a little bit, um, seeing what was out there, um, kind of jumping on some webinars and podcasts and different things that people were doing, grabbed some books and just started the introvert way, you know, (laughs) (laughs) um, and started working on some things. And then, um, some people asked to see what I was working on. And so I kind of sent it over and um, eventually a person, a friend of mine sent that to uh, to a publisher and the publisher contacted me right away. And I think he's a, maybe a friend of yours too, Brendan McClenahan. And, oh yeah, I've met uh, him. Yep. Yeah. And he reached out and said, you know, I'm really interested in this stuff. Uh, we also think, the timing is pretty good on it with the focus on kind of moving toward creative experimentation and innovation within the church. Yeah. Um, the timing is good coming out of COVID or maybe now we're going back into it. It's hard to tell where we're at. Yeah. We're recording this. I I looked yesterday, we're at the end of July and cases were 88,000 yesterday. And I'm just, Oh my goodness. Right. Yeah. Going back in the wrong direction, but eventually you know, I mean, we kind of right now, this cyclical back and, forth, you know, back and forth kind of thing going on. But uh, he thought that this stuff would would make a would make a good book that could be helpful uh, to some to some folks, you know, kind of coming out of COVID and trying to figure out what a new normal is in the church. You know, we can we'll probably get into this more later, but uh, we can see this time as an opportunity uh, for some adaptive change in the church, or we can see it as a time to uh, to kind of want to return back to the glory days, whatever those were. Yeah. 
Um, and obviously you can see probably by my slight sar sarcasm that I'd like to see us, you know, move into some, some new innovative things in the life of the church. So that's how the book came to be. Um, kind of had to transition it from a more local thing to, to a book, mm -hmm. uh, which was a little bit of work and a lot of fun to work on. Awesome. Well, I thought it'd be interesting. You, you lay out in the book kind of six problems of discipleship and I thought it'd be interesting just kind of dive into those. So I'll just kind of, we'll kind of walk through them one by one. So the first one you write that we all know discipleship is really important, but we don't necessarily agree how to best live into it. And I think that's true probably regardless of your theological stripe right. or where you are in the spectrum. Right. So talk more about right. that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think there's a general level of, I mean, I don't know, frustration is the right word. Um, but I think people, you know, you see it bear out in the statistics where everyone thinks that discipleship is important. Um, but they also say that um, like training in the area of discipleship is at the very top of their list for things needed, you know? So it's like, we know it's important and we've tried all these things and we're kind of left throwing up our hands, I think, and being a little bit frustrated saying, well, maybe the, you know, more industrial one size fits all assembly line version of, hey, just do these three, you know, steps and, um, you know, your, pro your dreams are going to be realized and your problem solved. Um, you know, it's, it's frustrating to kind of have those things not deliver the way that we would like them to. And so it's kind of this look at, you know, a more industrial, individualistic and programmatic approach to discipleship and saying maybe there's something different we can do um, and kind of push back a little bit and kind of broaden it out um, to try to find something a little bit, uh, a little bit more. So, you know, I think in frustration, what happens is people just stop trying, mm -hmm. you know, and that, that's the hard part is, you know, once you've tried some things and, you know, our churches aren't the most innovative yeah. cultures, right? So failure is, you know, largely is seen as like a showstopper in the church. Now our new churches have something to teach us on that because failure is our best teacher. Amen <laughs> to that. Yeah. Yeah, and our new church, as in, you know, new churches, we know we're going to fail, you know, largely fail more than we succeed. And we learn from those things and we try again. And so kind of creating that more innovative, more creative culture that's not afraid to risk, not afraid to fail. Um, those things are, are really important. Um, and then, of course, you've got the, you know, what do we do now? People don't necessarily really want to come to church like you start talking to your friends in the community there's no there's not a big desire um to jump in at least at my church i mean i don't want to speak for everybody's <laughs> yeah i mean i talked to a lot of pastors and that's the challenge that i think a lot of pastors are dealing with now especially after covid right. or or you know as we said right like still in the midst of covid yeah, right. I mean, I think the numbers that I'm hearing, if I'm right, I think it's like 30% of folks kind of walked away from their church during COVID. Yeah. And that's pretty good, you know, pretty good chunk of people. 
Um, but it seems like it's almost was an excuse. Like they must have been kind of right there on the kind of precipice. And this gave them an excuse to develop new rhythms. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have to ask tough questions, you know, really ask them and ask them of the people that are, (laughs) that are leaving, like what's going on? Why did you leave? You know, and, and talk about those kind of things. So for lots of reasons, you know, we thought this stuff was important and kind of setting some new frames for innovation in the church and experimentation was, was pretty, uh, pretty important because those kind of more industrial protocols that uh, we talk about a little bit more in the book, they're just, they're not maybe working with the degree of success that we might hope they would. Yeah. So you're right that obviously the word discipleship doesn't exist in the Bible. And obviously, I think depending on your perspective, some people can make that a big deal. Um, what, What would you say to that? Yeah, I mean... Everything for the word is certainly there, right? I mean, but it just seems to me like that the more appropriate biblical term is disciple making, not discipleship, right? So we're not really going to find the word discipleship in the Bible, but we'll see disciple making and we'll see disciple all over the place. Yeah, I'm noticing the title of the book again now. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Um, It just may be the more appropriate uh, biblical term, but it's just... For me, it was just important to note some kind of issues that are just kind of truths that are, uh, they're just, they're out there. And so for me, it's always better to talk about, uh, talk about these things than just ignore them. And even like when I jumped on people that come at discipleship from a very, very different perspective than me, even those folks say this, (laughs) like they say, uh, they'll say the same thing, like, hey, you know, just so we know, really, this isn't the most appropriate biblical term. You know, we kind of made this one up, but disciple making yeah. certainly is, right? So really, it's just um, acknowledging um, the reality that we find ourselves. It's not a knock on the word per se, it's just acknowledging that um, it's just true. Yeah. You know? Well, speaking of terms, you, you write that we're often not clear on key terms, and I think that from my perspective, can really be a problem when it can be, I think that's just true. Maybe in church world, I don't know, as a church planner, Rob, like to pe like there's a huge variance of what it even means to start a church, you know, like right. it could be like, you know, you're taking 200 people from a big church and starting a church, or you're literally like parachuting into a community and starting a church. So you're talk right. about these key terms and why that matters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I added this one in there because I was so surprised that when I wanted to learn, you know, like learner and intellection are my top two strengths finders. So like I spent months um, before I even started working on this, jumping on webinars and going to conferences and reading books and stuff like that. And I was just fascinated by the fact that oftentimes I went to entire webinars on discipleship and no one ever said what that was. Hmm. Yeah, interesting. And so, like you said, I mean, I think not doing that leaves that wide open for... Um, and, I, and I don't mind if somebody has a different definition 
if they would have offered a different definition than my definition, I would still prefer that to not offering a definition because then I'm left to the imagination. What do these people think? Well, they must think the same thing I do. And what we know from today's yeah. society. Not true. It's, that is definitely not true. And if you leave that up to the imagination, um, I can almost guarantee you that any two people right now are not agreeing on 50% of the things. <laughs> yeah. So let so, me ask about that. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want to dive. Yeah, it's okay. Drill into this point. But I, I can see that being a challenge or I often see that being a challenge in more progressive spaces, progressive mm. Christian spaces where um, I don't know how to say this. Like there tends to be so much discussion about what, how to actually define key terms. Like I'll I'll use this joke and I don't know if it's fair or not, but I say like, yeah, I grew up independent Baptist. And when we would say when I was an independent Baptist, like let's go share the gospel. Like everybody knew what that meant on board. We're going out to share the gospel in mainline context, which I often find myself in. If we would say like, let's go share the gospel. Like people, like we want to have like 20 meetings about what the word gospel meant. That's right. So, uh, obviously, I think there's an importance to both of those perspectives. So, how do we, how do we balance? Yeah, I I think that's a really good point, and I do think you're right on the more progressive leaning side of the church. We can certainly quibble and talk. Um, we talk way more about this stuff, um, and I do think that the reason for that is because it does matter Hmm. and it does, it means something. Yeah. Um, And, you know, we can no longer assume that the culture around us, you know, outside of our church would have any understanding of the language that Christian insiders would use. Right. So if you said, go share the gospel, um, or we're talking about anything of the biblical narrative, now we have to make the assumption that the person we're talking to does not know and does not understand yeah. that. And so it's another reason that makes the actual work in just being clear um, even more important, because not only is it important to um, the group of people who wants to go, say, share the gospel um, in the example that you used, uh, it's also very important how that lands um, outside of the church in the larger community. It matters to the people that were, um, that we feel like we may be called to reach. So I guess what I would say is that we would want to do that. Like a lot of work, we would want to do that locally in our own, um, individual context with our faith communities. Right. So I think if our faith communities are clear about it and everyone can at least offer and be on the same page with, yeah, you know, here's what it means for our church to share the gospel. And they can talk like that with folks from within their church context and in their community context. I think that's a big, I think that's a big win as opposed to just not defining it and then, you know, sending people out and who knows what people are doing. They're all doing different things (laughs) because they're not clear on, on the definition. So you know, I do think that the words matter. I mean, I remember right when we were kids and that sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And then you grow up and you're like, well, that's just not true. Yeah. <laughs> um, words do hurt. Um, 
So we want to be clear, just as clear as we can um, about those kind of things. So that's why I wanted to, to just bring that up and say, um, well, we, we probably ought to talk about um, what these things mean, because as we've talked about, they do typically mean different things to different people. So we can at least say, hey, this is what this means to me, mm-hmm. or this is what this means in our, in our church context. And then we have something to discuss um, where we're kind of on the same page. Yeah, I think it kind of fits into another point you make. You you make here, and you said the words matter. You're concerned about how it lands. I've noticed, especially of late on Twitter. I don't know about who you follow on Twitter, but discipleship, anything about kind of sharing the message of Jesus, in some context, is really frowned upon. Obviously, you write, you know, that in some context, discipleship is a dirty word. I think this can, you know, t- talk more about that and how how we navigate that. Yeah, to me, this one probably needs a whole book at some point. Yeah, you're not um, wrong. Yeah. And I've actually I've actually thought more about it in this book. I really there's there's very little to do other than to note it. Hmm. Um, and I'll tell you, uh, you know, practically I was working with this material early with a room of church planters in Los Angeles mm-hmm. and we were going through this and all of a sudden it's like one of those moments when you're teaching and you just feel the resistance hmm. in a space Yeah, and I wasn't sure what it was and you know, your mind can do all kinds of things and you know, is it me? Is it something I said? Is it whatever? So kind of, I just stopped and was like, okay, let's, let's just stop right here. Yeah. And let's figure this out. And so, you know, there's all kinds of pushback. And the good feedback that I got then was when we're talking about discipleship, there's some problematic, there's some problematic issues uh, that come up. Um, And one of them is, um, you know, we talk about disciple making. And so there's one piece of pushback which says, you know, scripturally, we don't really make disciples. Sure, um, sure. God makes disciples. The Spirit transforms hearts and lives. You know, and the more biblical model is, you know, like, what was it? Paul planted and Apollos watered or Apollos planted and Paul watered and God gave the increase, right? And so that's one of the part of the pushback there is... In some circles, it can be a dirty word because um, when we take too much credit for something that we're not doing, it's a la- this lack of humility um, that goes into it. Or on the flip side, it's too much. It places too much responsibility and the onus on you know you and me as the disciple maker. Yep. Um, and all kinds of pressure, like, well, what if I'm not making any disciples? Am I a failure? I mean, there's there's kind of those different sides, but then the really serious side of the pushback is trying to disentangle um, Christian disciple making or discipleship from like a colonial past, right? Um, and that is going that is going to be some really difficult work. It's going to require some deep repentance, maybe even some reparation, some way to move mm-hmm. uh, beyond this because we really can't say, um, that we in the church have moved beyond um, certain major colonial issues that had to do, you know, 
Well, people will certainly look at him and see the connection with Christian discipleship. Yeah. Uh, the complicitness in slavery and the genocide of indigenous people yep. in North America are just two glaring examples of things that the church has participated in both, um, justified both using scripture. And the truth is that, yeah, sure, lots of individuals and a lot of individual churches, even some denominations now, are repenting of that and trying to distance themselves from that. But I just think there's so much more work to be done there um, that we have to acknowledge that Christian, the you know, Christian discipleship does not sound good to a lot of people outside of our church, outside of our churches. And then what I learned in doing the research for this book is it's it's not even a word. It's still, it's a dirty word to many within the context of our churches. Yeah. So I just wanted to acknowledge the challenges that we just can't assume that when we hear that word or someone hears the word discipleship or disciple making, that it's going to be seen in a positive light. <laughs> yeah. Um, because often it's not. Yeah. Well, like you said, there's a lot more that we could dive into, but maybe yeah. when you write that book, uh, we'll have yeah. you on again. <laughs> yeah, thank you. I'm scared to write it, but <laughs> but I want to. <laughs> yeah, I think it'd be, it's an important conversation to be sure, to be sure. It is. Yeah, The those power dynamics in relationships really mess things up. Man. You know? that, and it just... That's the truth. They've been super... Yeah, they've just been really destructive. Um, and so I just think acknowledging that is important as at least just a first step um, in repentance and trying to trying to move forward. Boy, I'm writing that down. Power dynamics in relationships, because I think there's there's a lot yeah. there. But let's let's move on for the sake of time. Yeah, um, sure. You write that we have created competing values that work against each other. And I'm curious about this, like, when when I read that, I think about like how church planters, church pastors can often be judged by the metric of overall attendance, you know, yes. total offering. Yet, if I understand disciple making, or at least how I understand it, you're investing deeply and personally into individual people, and to me, those those don't always work together. So, is, is that kind of what you're getting at? Right. Yeah. Um, I think. There's that going on as well. I mean, the metrics that we typically use, right? I mean, so we have a church, and there's a good book out there, um, The Innovative Church by Scott Cormode, hmm. and he talks a lot about this. He's a Fuller Seminary professor, I believe, um, and he talks quite a bit about this too, that the, ch most, the church that we inherited or are a part of today is a church that is built was built in the mid 20th century, yeah, right? Yep. Um, we no longer live in that time, and we could spend a lot of time talking about, um, you know, a previous more Christendom-oriented mm -hmm. church versus today, living in an increasingly post-Christian world where we just no longer can make the assumption that our neighbors and the people we meet are Christians. We should probably make the opposite assumption that they're not. Yeah. Um, and then so we use those old metrics, you know, whatever it is, the butts, bucks, and whatever. I was trying to, to remember that this week. Yeah, what's the what's the third one? There's a third one. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, so, we're yeah, we're not using the right 
measurements and so better measurements for people like especially we talk about this a lot in the new church world are their narratives their stories yeah yeah so transformative stories um although they don't make the bean counter types happy i i realize that because every church has them and the and the fact is we need them we need the bean counter types like i've needed them as a church planner um but the tra- trying to convince people that hey it's transformative narratives it's, you know, God changing someone, someone's heart, and you see that transformation in their lives. Um, these are better metrics for a lot of the things that, um, that we want to talk about. So then the other thing is, you know, looking at this one, the creating competing values um, is we kind of have these, you know, I, I think, what did I put it? The Matthew, tw- Matthew 25 and Matthew 28 churches, the more progressive yeah. leaning Matthew 25 churches that, hey, you know, they want to go give a cold drink of water to someone who's thirsty. And the Matthew 28 are like, hey, man, just go, you know, just go share the gospel and evangelize. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, is that so we've created this again. It's another you and I kind of started talking about it earlier in the ma- just the massive differences and divisions between us today mm-hmm. in in the broader culture. And we're seeing the same thing in the church and we see it between, you know, are you a Matthew 25 or a Matthew 28 church? Well, we're supposed to be both a Matthew 25 and a Matthew 28 churches, but yet we, we pit them against each other. And I think that, um, you know, one of the many things that does is it, it does not put forth, um, a unified witness for sure. And I think that's really too bad, you know, pitting kind of social justice over against um, discipleship or evangelism or whatever, whatever you, whatever word you want to pick, um, that comes at a at a cost. And so I just wanted to, you know, kind of point that out here in that first chapter that, you know, we've got to work and strive to heal that divide, um, and all of our divides, right? Being given this ministry of reconciliation. Um, I think it's something that we don't do very well. We're given this ministry of reconciliation by God, and yet we don't want the mantle. Like, we don't want to accept that. Yeah. And I do think that we need to talk about this kind of stuff um, because it's a false dichotomy. And there's, they're really, it's really not, we don't need to, uh, we, we definitely should not have done that and need to kind of work on, uh, work on figuring it out. Yeah, I think that's a helpful, at least for me, it was helpful imagery of the Matthew 25, you know, that's to give a cup of cold water, right? Am I thinking that right? Yeah, yeah. And then you're... versus Matthew 28, go there. I remember in the King James Version, go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations or whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, right. Yeah. Let me ask this too. You write that the, the church has overemphasized the Sunday worship gathering, thus rendering discipleship optional. And I think, I don't know about you, but for me, in my experiences of pastoring, like this is one of the hardest things I think to overcome because folks can kind of, you know, they, they can do their church on Sunday morning and be like, Hey, I'm good. I've done it. Right. That's right. And it's, it's almost like, I don't know, like it's, I think you would, you'd say it's like we're reaping the church in America at large is kind of reaping the consequences of its own behavior. Right. 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 Yeah. It's uh, what we were talking about just a moment ago with uh, the different metrics. Right. So here you kind of get into that a little bit more. If um, if my commitment as a disciple of Jesus is to attend, you know, a Sunday 
worship service, you know, I don't, I'm not one of those. I don't want to devalue um, the Sunday worship gathering um, because what I found, especially in the community, in the context that I'm in here, uh, this is still really important. In other contexts, it's maybe not as important as it is in mine, but it's still very important here where I am. So it's not a devaluing of that. It's just saying that, you know, worship is not the only way that a Christian is, um, you know, equipped and formed to follow in the way of Jesus. It is one important way of doing that. But unfortunately, you know, I think what we've done is, um, you know, I think a lot of people just believe and think that, well, you know, that disciple making piece, oh, that's for our, uh, that's for our pastors or our elders or deacons or kind of yep. the professional Christian or the, or the leader. And so what is expected of me is to show up and to contribute to the offering. <laughs> yeah. Sing a um, little you know, bit, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kick in, you know, maybe show up at a, you know, join a small group or something like that. And those th- there's nothing wrong with those things. It's not a knock on those things. It's, um, are there other ways that we're formed? And is that really, um, like, you know, the biblical view of, of what a disciple is? And certainly that falls well short. We know that. Um, and so how do we kind of move people um, one outside themselves, but two our institutions outside of their physical buildings and their addresses and back out into, uh, into their local, uh, communities to do that kind of work. So, um, yeah, that was kind of some of the stuff I was thinking about in, in that one. Good. I, we're running a little long on time here, but I do want to yeah, like, yeah. throw one more on if you can handle it. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find out. <laughs> Throughout all this, I keep thinking like the biggest challenge, like that I think about for me personally and my like family situation is just the the realities of like time. Like my wife mm. works nights. She's a she's a ER nurse. Um, you know, uh, I think that like when we think about families, even even beyond families, like a lot of folks these days have to work two jobs just because of the realities of the economic situations that they find themselves in. Like, I feel like the, the time folks have available, the kind of marginal free time is just less and less. Hmm. What, I mean, what's your, how, how have you navigated that? Like, uh, what has been your approach? Um, yeah, I'm just curious on that. Yeah, I think that you're absolutely right on. And so I'm in a, um, quite high functioning, very fast paced suburban community. People are highly educated Mm -hmm. uh, and they're on the move and lives revolve around very busy families and and activities and stuff with their kids. And I mean, we're, we see the same thing uh, that other people see. People have less time for church stuff. Um, And so when it comes to church things, I would say a couple things. I mean, deprogramming the church a little bit. And I mean that like in the literal sense, right? Um, not in this <laughs> sense, not in the brain um, sense. Yeah, not in that way. Um, but really, just being careful not to overburden people's calendar. Yep. And so, um, but then you're thinking, yeah, you know, people are working a lot of jobs. They're super busy. So how do you, you know, 
how would you get someone being more creative or more innovative just in their normal spheres of influence, right? And paying attention and listening and getting to know people relationally kind of, you know, when it comes to this book, um, you know, like the Luke 10 stuff is listening and looking for people of peace, people that extend you hospitality. Mm-hmm. As we're going about our days, you know, are we coming across people that are extending hospitality to us? Um, how do we receive that hospitality? Maybe those are folks and those are kind of relationships to uh, to be paying attention to because we can all do that in the midst of our busy days when we're coming in contact with different people. And then, you know, what I would say in regards to the church, the deprogramming the church kind of a thing, I mean, you know, for family, for busy families, you know, trying to find your areas of, you know, what are you passionate about? Where are your gifts? Mm-hmm. Um, and to lean into those kind of things and create uh, things that families could do together. Like if, you know, an individual family or, you know, a cluster of families together that's out in the community that puts you in contact with uh, with folks outside your church, um, you know, being in ministry with not just two. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think thinking along those lines would be as beneficial. A couple quick things that you could do one individually and one collectively is, you know, kind of change the style of programming a little bit more to be um, about get making sure that, you know, you're getting outside uh, your, the church's physical address and building and connected in ministry with others outside the church and the community. I mean, I just, I think those are hugely important things because I, you know, we talk about at the beginning, the more individualistic, industrial, programmatic approach to disciple making. This does something a little bit different. And when we go on mission together, we are formed in the way of Jesus. And that, that is, um, you know, certainly one way that we're formed in a very important way in a way that I found in kind of my research was maybe undervalued. Um, not everybody talks about that. And so, you know, kind of being more experimental and creating those innovative experiments within your community and just being willing to try new stuff. Um, but overburdening people is tough. So I hear you on that one. And I think it's, it's real important that we not do that. I'm also thinking of, I don't, I had him on the pod earlier. I'm you might know him, Tim Mori. Oh yeah, Tim. He yeah. wrote a book and uh he, we talked about he talked about one of the emphasis in his church was on discipling I think would be a fair word of families to kind of slow down. So I think it's a both yeah. end of yeah. like yeah, we want to acknowledge like some people they do have a lot going on just cuz they got, you know, pay the bills or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah. But also like, hey, do you really need to be like shuffling kids like three sports a week? You know, that's right. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Tim is a Tim is a wise pastor and leader. So, yes, I I think that's right. For well, sure. let's take a break here uh, and we'll come back with some closing questions. All right, we're back with Rob Douglas and uh, Rob, I've prepared you for these questions. So uh, if you're Pope for a day. <laughs> What do you want to do? What's that day look like? <laughs> oh, that's such a great question. I loved seeing it. And I, I think I even made a note to you earlier. I'm like, 
as an introvert and internal processor, like that is the kind of question I could think about for weeks and weeks and weeks before answering. But I'm going to throw a couple things out there. Um, I'm going to use my influence because it's not like the Pope can just make anything happen, but they certainly have a great worldwide influence. So I would want to use that influence um, to kind of beg the church not to be scared to talk about everyday issues, Hmm. right? The issues that people are constantly thinking about issues that they're passionate about, social justice, climate change, healthcare, whatever it might be, we're so scared to talk about those things. And I think a great leader like a Pope uh, could encourage people to say, it's okay to talk about this stuff. (laughs) And even if we're not on the same page, yeah, um, I would want to encourage kind of worldwide Christianity, if I was the Pope, to uh, to a more unified Christian witness. We've talked a little bit about that today. Um, That's something that would be important to me, focusing on that healing and reconciliation work, even within the body of Christ. Mm -hmm. Really, someone to to kind of promote that would be pretty cool. Um, And maybe one more, um, to encourage the church to adapt, to innovate, uh, to change for the sake of reaching out um, to to our communities with the good news of of God's love in Jesus Christ. I think that's critical because... um, we in the church largely think that it's someone else that has to adapt and change to us. Uh, in fact, we're the ones called that need to adapt. We're the ones working with outdated uh, modes <laughs> in our institutions. Um, so we're going to need to to adapt uh, in order to do a better job at that kind of stuff. So those are a few things I would want to like really go on a like a speaking tour in that bulletproof mobile that the Pope gets. <laughs> that's a full um, day. So that's a full day. So you better get yeah, a good night's yeah. rest. Get up early and yeah, uh, yeah. work a long day there. Okay, I want to ask you this then, as a, as I'll say, maybe a lay historian. Yeah. Who's a Christian figure or, uh, you know, historical figure you might want to meet or bring back to life? Yeah, I'm probably going to surprise you on this one. Um, this is an easy one for me. Fyodor Dostoevsky. Oh. The Russian literary writer who uh, was a Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've always wanted to know more, like what kind of Christian was he? And I see, I can see things in his writing, but his his writing is so complex. Mm-hmm. I think he wrote that t- maybe two of his books are probably my two top favorite books of all time. So he's an easy choice for me. I would love to like sit down and have a beer with that guy mm-hmm. um, and talk. So fascinating. But I'll bet that was a unique one for you. You probably didn't see that one coming. <laughs> no, no. I mean, his crime and punishment, like... He- yeah, his. I mean, I don't need to dwell too much, but like I could, like I could feel the weight of whatever that character's name was, yes. like the guilt and shame that yeah. he was. Like you can just feel it in in yourself as yeah. you're reading that book. It's the writing and storytelling yeah. is so good. Um, yeah. Here Incredible again, book. what do you think history will remember from our current time and place? Oh gosh, another excellent question. Um, I'm going to go with a negative and a positive. The negative is going to be just this incredible polarization of our current time and place is going to be, is going to be remembered. It's going to be written about, I mean, when we can't even agree on, um, some basic facts, Mm -hmm. uh, we know that there's a a real significant divide. Um, and we're going to see that in the history books that's going to reflect poorly on our, on our time and place. Positively, 
I think what's going to make the history books is they're going to remember the rise of social justice movements like Black Lives Matter. Mm. Um, they're going to remember the voices that sounded the alarm on climate change. Mm-hmm. And what I'm hoping for the church is that there's at least a footnote in history um, for the rising tide of Christians that are waking up to social justice issues hmm. and joining and joining in um, and kind of what I was talking about earlier in not being afraid to uh, to talk about the things that matter to people and participate in those things as people of faith and as followers of Jesus. So that's what I'm hoping there's a footnote in there for the church in the history books. So I'm guessing this kind of leads into your hopes for the future. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, that we get out of our own way, um, that we learn to listen to the voice of our neighbors, uh, that we learn to, uh, to join God in our neighborhoods, discerning those things, that we, you know, seek a more unified witness, that we learn to repent for the mistakes of our past, mm. that we learn to adapt, to innovate, uh, and to change and not hold uh, our structures in the church as sacred, but to be willing to try some new things and not be afraid to fail. Um, because the work that we're doing in, uh, in sharing the love of God and Jesus Christ with other people, is it's valuable work. Um, it's important. And so I hope that we'll, uh, as a church, we'll take orthopraxy as seriously as we take orthodoxy. So those are a few of my hopes for the church. Love yeah. it. Appreciate that you put some effort into these questions, so I appreciate that. <laughs> well, well, they're great. They're great questions. They deserved um, at least a quick but thoughtful response. <laughs> thanks. So, uh, where can people find out more about you? And are you on Twitter? Because I was trying to tag you on Twitter. Yeah. Okay. So I apologize, but I saw that movie, The Social Dilemma. Is that what it was called? Something like that. And. Mike, yeah, I um I immediately jumped off of all social except for um Facebook because I had to have that for work. Mm. So I'm not on Twitter right now or Instagram or TikTok well, or anything like that. Well, you're probably a healthier person for it, so. I, yeah, I don't know. I just after watching that, uh my kids were moved to kind of tone their social media use down and I thought I don't like social media that much anyway, and I don't really use it. Mm-hmm. So I was always told going into the church planning world that if you have social media that you don't use, it actually hurts you more than it helps you. Yeah. And I didn't. I wasn't using it, so I finally had the kind of natural break to say uh, goodbye to those things. So yeah, apologies for the um, lack of uh, <laughs> lack of social media output out there. But um, you could find information on the book and me at cyclical fullcircle.com uh that's where you'll find information there um or people someone could email me we could talk um i'm i'm easy uh but my email is robertdouglas32 at gmail.com well thanks so much for being on here and uh hope the book does well again the the book is the missional disciple making handbook growing as disciples and innovating together so check it out from cyclical publishing it is right yeah, thank you. And uh, hope it hope it does well for you. So thanks for your time and uh, go in peace. Yeah, likewise. Really appreciate you having me on. A pleasure talking to you. Enjoyed the conversation. Thanks for joining us on the Future Christian Podcast. To learn more about Lauren or the podcast, visit future-christian.com. One more thing before you go. 
do us a favor and subscribe to the podcast. And if you're feeling especially generous, leave a review. It really helps us get the word out to more people about the podcast. The Future Christian Podcast is a production of Torn Curtain Arts and Resonate Media. Our episodes were mixed by Danny Burton, and the production support is provided by Paul Romaglevitt. Thanks, and go in peace. Peace.